Hello, and welcome to this episode of Consumers, Cars, Tech Talk, and more with me, your host, Phil Scott. Today, my guest on this episode is actress, director, author, and podcast host, Gabrielle Stone. So without further delay, let's welcome Gabrielle. So Gabrielle, welcome to the show today. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you on. So I've been looking forward to this. I'm glad you were able to make time today to do it. I am. And here I am. (laughs) Yay. I'm glad you're here. All right. So first of all, Gabrielle, uh, why don't you start by telling us um, about your background, um, a little bit about your childhood, uh, where you went to school and so forth. So we'll start with that because you have an interesting story to tell. I do. It was a, a different childhood that I had. So I grew up in Los Angeles and both of my parents were in the industry. My mom is Dee Wallace, who is known for E.T. and Cujo, The Howling. And my dad was Christopher Stone, who was known for lots of different TV shows. And he was also in Cujo and The Howling with my mom and was also a director. And so I grew up on set with both of my parents and we traveled around a lot and um, I was able to see a lot of the world and, you know, kind of grow up on a film set. I will say other than that, I had a very normal childhood and my parents did a very good job at making sure everything was as normal as possible. So they were always, one of them was always at every sports game or dance recital. If one of them took a job, then the other one wouldn't. um, So that there was always one parent not working, which is really hard to do in Hollywood. And um, it was, it was a pretty great childhood I had until um, one day when I was six years old, I walked in and found my dad had died fatally from a heart attack um, on his bathroom floor. And my mom was in New Zealand shooting a movie called The Frighteners. And she flew home the next day. I was there with my nanny, who I was very close with. And um, we it kind of rocked our world, as you can imagine. And we ended up all going back, me, my nanny, and my mom, going back to New Zealand so she could finish the film, um, which was incredible of her. And uh, we were really grateful to Peter Jackson, who was directing it. Uh, He just, you know, let her go and said, come back when you can um, and we'll figure it out until then. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was really the first kind of big um, traumatic event in my life at at an early age. But I, um, I continued on as you do and grew up. And when I was 18, that unfortunate painful wound was ripped open again um, when I lost my high school sweetheart in a car accident. So I kind of had grown up with this fear of abandonment um, and this subconscious belief of when I love someone, they die, um, which had stayed with me really deeply throughout my entire life. Um, I started acting when I was 19 and continued to consistently work in the film industry um, for, for years when I was in my twenties and then made the jump to directing and ended up directing a film called it happened again last night that I also starred in that went on to win a lot of awards at, at the festival circuit. Um, and 
then I ended up getting married. And that's kind of where my recent crazy uh, story really begins. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm going to get into the, the movie um, that you were talking about. Um, because it was, uh, you've won so many awards for that. I was, I was doing my research. I was like, wow. I mean, she, Gabrielle won a lot of awards for that. So I want to get into that. That's going to be one of my questions about, um, about um, you too. Um, but I want to jump quickly back to your dad for just a second. Sure. Um, gosh, you weren't even quite seven years old, I believe, when your dad passed away. Um, yeah, it was just before I turned seven. And so for you, what was the process of grieving and coping with that? God, I know. I think when you're so young, um, you don't really process what it means because you're you're just kind of learning what death even means. Um, you know, like when your goldfish dies. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of hard for a brain that young to grasp what a big loss that is. Mm -hmm. um, so my mom, you know, did the best she could and and really explained everything to me and. Um, we talked about it a lot, but it, I don't think it really started to sink in and manifest as grief for me, um, until I got a little bit older, um, and, you know, had a lot of anger around it. Um, but as far as being six, you know, when I walked in and saw him there, I thought he had just passed out. It didn't even occur to me that, that he could be gone. Um, and to walk in and see that is obviously like a really traumatic thing for a little girl to go through. And, um, it really was the first thing that kind of put me on the path that I was going to be walking, um, as far as like my healing journey goes. Right. And your dad was only in his mid fifties. Yeah. He, I think he was 56 when he passed. Wow. Wow. That's far, far too young. Indeed. Well, I wanted to um, share something about your dad that I know. Oh, because, cool. <laughs> um, fun fact here, and you, I'm sure you know this, but um, he did a number of episodes of The Bionic Woman. Yes. <laughs> and the last season of The Bionic Woman, it changed networks from ABC to NBC. Mm -hmm. And so that last season, he was the love interest for Lindsay Wagner. And so that final episode is where Lindsay Wagner is kind of at a crossroads with being bionic and doing things for the government. And your dad is part of the whole equation. He, she wants to be with him and he wants to be with her. And so anyway, the way it plays out, she comes to terms of being bionic and they end up together at the end. So fun fact I love about it. <laughs> I love it. I need to, I, I've never actually seen the series or an episode from it. Um, and I need to try and dig up a way to make that happen. Well, they show it on cozy. I don't know if you get cozy. You're, are you, uh, are you up in LA? I am. I don't know. I'll have to look into that though. Yeah. Well, down here in San Diego, we have a, a channel called cozy. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to look it's for it. BC station. And, um, so I yeah, think we would have it. Yes. So fun fact that I wanted to throw out there for uh, you. I love that. <laughs> So now, if you would, I want to talk about your, oh, before I get to your acting career, um, what was school like for you? 
Um, for me, I, for whatever reason, always had kind of a pushback towards authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> I always really wanted to march to the beat of my own drum. And whenever I had rules or, um, you know, really strict regulations that I had to follow like you do in school, mm-hmm. um, I really resisted it. Um, so I was never a huge fan of school. I mean, I went and, you know, did my work, but I, if I would have applied myself more, I would have been an, a straight A student, but it, it, you know, wasn't where my passion was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I had a, a pretty regular childhood um, in that sense. I, I went to elementary school and then a middle school and then my, my local high school. Um, and then for college, I ended up doing three years at CSUN, Cal State Northridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I booked a film for a month and a half in Michigan. And it was right when I was starting my final year where you have to go straight through your, um, your main classes. Right. And they were like, well, you can't take any time off. And I was like, okay, well, I'm here to study cinema television. And I just booked a big job in cinema television. So I guess I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you made the right choice. It's worked out for me so far. <laughs> so far, so good. Can't argue with that. Now, I wanted to talk about your acting career. Um, you've done movies like Speak No Evil. And I just wanted to know, what, what has been your favorite role so far? That's my first question. And number two, you've, you've worked with your mom in the past. What has it been like to have an opportunity to work with your mom? So my favorite role, and this is a kind of tricky question because you have your favorite role of like the best time you had on set. And then you have your role, your favorite role of like the best work that you've put out, you know, Mm -hmm. that translated best to screen. Um, I think as far as like my best time on set would be zombie killers. Um, I had such an incredible experience with the people on that set. And it was kind of the first time I felt like I was, you know, moving a level up. Um, and it, it was just a really great experience with the people that I met on that set. And I'm still very good friends with all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the work that I'm most proud of, I would say the movie I did called swell. Um, and it was a very small cast, very small crew. We road tripped from Santa Cruz all the way up to Oregon and shot along the way. Um, I became like soul sisters with the girl that starred opposite me and, it, it was such a tough shoot because of the conditions and the small crew that we had. It was just a really rough emotional shoot, but the work that I was able to do in that film and that character, I'm really, really proud of. That's awesome. And my mom, I've, I've worked with her on a few different levels. Um, I, she was also in zombie killers. She played my boyfriend's mother. So I only had one scene with her in that. Um, but it's always fun when my mom and I get, get to work together. We're best friends. So we, we love anytime we get to do something that we love together. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was also able to direct her in my second film that I directed called After Emma, which stars my mom, obviously, and Tamor Ghazi and Amy Smart. Um, and so that was a really cool experience for both of us. For me, it was cool because I was able to, you know, have my mom, in this world that I had created and was able to, you know, be her director. Um, and I think it was great for her because she got to show up on a set with, you know, on a soundstage with 60 people and watch her daughter 
run a film set the way that she's accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a really awesome full circle moment for both of us to to experience. And she got to play a very different character. She's a lawyer in that that's very straight and doesn't have a lot of heart and very cold. And that's so opposite of the roles she normally plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of challenging for her because it was that mixed with all the legal jargon. So she, it wasn't a walk in the park on set that day for her. <laughs> well, your mom really seems like a class act. So she must've been very pleased and proud of you and just everything that you've accomplished so far. Oh, thank you. She is. And she's, she's wonderful. And I can attest that she is a class act in real life. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I wanted to talk about your, your more about the directing. Um, it happened again last night, man, mm-hmm. you've won, you've won so many awards for that. Let me just reel off the list of awards that you've <laughs> won for that, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so for the action on film, international fest film festival, you won, I believe, let's see, it was the best political statement film. And then for the Beverly Hills Film Festival, you were best actress. I was. <laughs> yes. And then the California Women's Film Festival, best actress. <laughs> Man, and it just goes on and on. You must have been very proud of your work in that movie. You know, I was. And it was my first time being behind the camera. So I co-wrote, co-directed, produced and starred in it. So I was wearing a lot of hats. Um, and it was such a wonderful experience. And I don't think we had any idea that it was going to be as successful as it was in the film festival circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of icing on the cake for us. It was really special to be able to create a piece of art that I was really passionate about with people that I wanted to work with. And just being able to put all the pieces together that it takes on the producing side was really a joy for me. And it's really what made me fall in love with producing and directing, which I'm so, I'm so thankful it did because I I love it so much. Um, And it, it was really nice to have more control than you do as just an actress. You know, so many times we show up on set and it's like, well, I hope this turns out well, but you don't really have any control over it. You can just control the work that you put out, not how it's going to look or if it's being done the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really nice to be able to have some of that control in, uh, in directing and producing. For you as a director, what is the most challenging aspect of directing a movie? Uh, financing, (laughs) getting, getting everything ready to go. Um, financially, I feel like once you have that in place, it's kind of just more, not that it's easy, but it's a fun kind of moving pieces around and piecing all the puzzle pieces together, um, Mm -hmm. to make something magical. So I really enjoy it. It's just that first getting over the hill and getting it greenlit and funded. That's tough. Now, do you have a hand in casting as well? Sure. The ones that I've done thus far. Yeah. I, I cast all of them myself and, you know, it was the first one. It happened again last night was my co-director and I, um, and I originally didn't want to play that role. I wanted to play the girlfriend and have a smaller role in it so that I could focus on the directing more. Um, obviously I look back and I'm very happy that I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, after Emma, I, I cast all of it 100% on my own. Um, 
we didn't even audition. It was all people that I knew and knew their work and wanted to, to work with. So it was, um, it was a really cool process in that sense where you can handpick all the people that you really want to bring your story to life. And for me, it seems like acting and directing, whether it's television or in films, at doing that double duty must be very interesting. That must be an interesting process within itself too. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I was happy to not do it on After Emma and I could just sit back and be a writer director. Um, I... I wouldn't not do it again, but I wouldn't, I don't think I would want to star in it again. If I was going to be in front of the camera while I was directing, I would want it to be a smaller role. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's an interesting dynamic when you're working with an actor and you're supposed to be present in the scene with them. And then your director brain is going, okay, I want to make this adjustment. And you, it's a weird line to, to adjust a fellow actor right. as a director when you're in the scene with them. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a tricky, slippery slope, but um, you know, it's, it's part of the game when you sign up to do that. I've been wondering because I've seen it all over the news and I've, I've had an opportunity to interview a director and a producer who's gone through this and I'm sure you're going through this too, but how has the whole COVID situation affected your work, but also people you know in the business? Yeah, a lot of people I know in the business, it's been a really tough year um, because everything got put on hold. And even the the things that were going were big, massive things um, that are few and far between. So it was a tough year for people in the industry. I am very, very, very thankful that I have my book and my podcast and that has really been my focus this last year um, mm -hmm. and has been keeping me busy and afloat. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. I did direct, co-direct a project during the pandemic and we shot it all socially distanced um, with a bunch of the horror stars. Um, it was my mom did it. Uh, Danielle Harris, Scout Compton, D. Wa uh, not D. Wallace. That's my mom repeating. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Barbara Crampton and Kane Hodder, and we shot it all mostly so, uh, remote. So Barbara Crampton, Kane Hodder, they all shot their own footage and sent it in to us. Um, we went to my mom's and Danielle's and scouts and just kept a, a safe distance and creatively figured out ways that we could do that. Um, but the film's called Stay Home. It released on Bloody Disgusting's YouTube channel. And it was mainly we just got together and did it for the horror fans because everybody was so down in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, but apart from that, I mean, I shot one other project that was in front of camera as an actress, and that was it in 2020. Well, during the pandemic, I, I shot a film in February before everything shut down. But yeah, it was a wild year for the entertainment industry. Um, hopefully things will be getting better later this year. I know things are things are starting to come back. Yeah, they're starting to come back and, and there's productions that are actively working successfully. My mom just did two episodes of uh, Fox's 911. So things are moving, but it's still especially on the indie side, it's harder because it takes so much more money now to do it with COVID safety in place. Right, right. Well, now I want to take our break. And when we come back from the break, Gabrielle, I want to talk about your book 
Okay. <laughs> and because that's, that's another interesting thing. And I want to talk about your podcast too. So we will be right back with more consumers, cars, tech talk, and more with me, your host, Phil Scott. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Consumers, Cars, Tech Talk, and more with me, your host, Phil Scott. And today, my guest is Gabrielle Stone. So, Gabrielle, thank you again so much for being on the show today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I want to now, I'd, I'd like to talk about your book, Eat, Pray, Hashtag FML. Now, I didn't know what the FML meant. <laughs> now, my first instinct as a guy was to think, huh, maybe that means female, but ah, that's not what it meant. No, definitely not. <laughs> that is not what it meant. So Gabrielle, uh, summarize the incidents in your life that led up to the book. And then why don't you tell me what inspired and motivated you to get those thoughts out of your head and into your book onto paper? So I was married for almost two years. And in 2017, I found out he was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months. I filed for divorce and left. Shortly after that, I met a guy and we fell madly in love with each other, mm -hmm. had this whirlwind romance, and he convinced me to join him on a month-long trip to Italy. 48 hours before we were getting on a plane, he told me he needed to go by himself. And I was absolutely devastated. He broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And as I was sitting at home crying on my bed, I realized I had a decision to make and that was either stay at home heartbroken or go travel Europe for a month by myself. So I took a backpack and I did six countries over the span of a month solo and wrote a book about it, which is called Eat, Pray, FML, which stands for F, my life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And what and what inspired you to give it that title? Um, well, actually, so when I had the conversation with the man that broke up with me before Europe, he had dropped me off at my house and he said to me, he was like, how are you feeling, Gabs? And I said, like, I'm about to go on a journey of eat, pray, F my life. And that's the title. <laughs> um, it's obviously a satirical play on the classic eat, pray, love um, because of you know, the heartbreak and then woman goes and travels and finds herself, although it is so vastly different. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really was never a question to me. I just, I knew that when I found out I was going to go by myself, I had watched my life go from being married to finding out about being cheated on and getting a divorce and falling in love and getting heartbroken and then going on this insane journey by myself it was like my life had become this weird, twisted sitcom. Um, and I knew that my story was going to be able to resonate with a lot of people and help other people heal because grief and heartbreak is universal. Right. So I bought a leather bound journal the day before I left and started the book the first day I landed in London. I wrote three fourths of it on my trip by hand in the book. 
in mm-hmm. my journal. Um, and it wasn't like I was journaling and then came home and turned it into a book. Like if you open that journal, it says chapter one, and it's very, very close to how the published version is. Wow. Um, and then I finished it when I came home. So the whole thing I wrote in about three and a half months. Um, and we shopped it to publishers. Some of them passed. Some were like, well, we like it, but we want to tone it down and we don't know about the title and we should maybe, you know, shorten it. And I just felt really strongly about what story I had told, the rawness, the realness, how authentic it was and how in your face it was. Like it needed to be all of those things um, for it to connect with people the way that it it has. Um, so I decided to self-publish. I self-published in 2019. Uh, so it's been out for just over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it has been a wild ride for me <laughs> in the best way. That's that's amazing. Now, what has the feedback been for you, both positive and negative? And it seems to me it's been more positive than negative. Yeah, it's. I would say it's like 95, 6% positive, but you know, it's art and it's in your face and it's subjective. So there's always going to be a percentage of people that absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do have that. Um, but for the most part, it's it's, I hear that people can't put it down. They read it in a day or two. Um, I've accumulated this really incredible fan base now that, um, has followed me over to the podcast FML talk, um, that really connect with not only me and what I went through and the themes in the book, but they've also been able to heal, um, from reading my journey, which was the point of it. It's not an in-your-face self-help book by any means. You feel like you're reading a ridiculous Netflix story. Um, but that being said, you're reading about all of these, you know, things that I'm dealing with and going through and ways that I'm figuring out to heal. And in turn, you're connecting with certain things and healing on your own as well. So, it's been really amazing, especially during COVID when we're all home. Um, I've been able to connect with so many of my readers that are all around the world. I mean, I have people that, that write me from South Africa, from Chile, from Australia. It's, it's unbelievable um, that, that this, this little book has reached so many people on a global level um, in the short time that it's been out. And it's, it's really fulfilling for me and humbling. Um, but it also makes it feel like everything I went through was worth it. To me, it seems like it's very cathartic to get those thoughts and those feelings out on paper, um, and to share them with other people. Um, I was a creative, um, I was an English major, but my emphasis was creative writing. Mm. Um, at San Diego State when I was an undergrad years ago. And um, I used to love to write poetry. And a couple of times I've started to write my own autobiography. I mean, I I had a pretty uh, not so typical childhood with an alcoholic dad and Mm. all of the things, the violence and stuff that uh, happened around my home. Well, life. you should, you should finish it. I, I am a firm believer and a perfect example of the therapy that can come from, uh, from writing your story. I truly think that writing Eat, Pray, FML was what got me through 2017. Um, it, 
it gave me a purpose. It allowed me to physically, you know, because I was writing by hand on the trip, physically allow things to flow out of my body Mm. um, and therefore out of my energy. And I really do think that it was like packing five years of therapy into three months for me. Right. And it's just that, just the process of getting those feelings out on paper, whether it is um, an autobiography or poems, it just, it means a lot for me. It, yeah, it, it, it did. And I know it, it has for you too. Absolutely. And I used to write poetry when I was younger and I've always loved writing. Um, if it was on my, again, on my own terms. Um, although I could, I could BS an English essay pretty, pretty well. Um, but I always loved, you know, my one creative writing class that I took my speech class that I took anything where I could tell a story. I always was really drawn to, but I by no means was a writer when I started doing this. I mean, Mm -hmm. it took me probably a couple months into having my book even be out to really feel comfortable calling myself an author. Wow. Well, what you've done, I'm sure it has inspired so many people. And your podcast came about because of that. Tell me how the podcast came about and the impact that it's having on listeners. I have had people asking me to do a podcast since the book came out. <laughs> um, and I I had been a guest on so many the first, you know, five months, and I still do them constantly. Um, but I think I was burnt out on, on the podcast thing um, mm-hmm. just from being a guest on so many. Right. And, you know, I, I felt like, well, everybody has a podcast. What's my, how is mine going to be different? What am I going to talk about? Um, and then COVID hit. And one of my good girlfriends was like, dude, you know, you really should be doing this. It's a whole nother extension that you could be reaching and like continuing to connect with all these people that are now on your social media because of your book. And so I kind of got like strong armed into doing it, but I'm so happy that I did because it's become this, like she said, an extra extension of, you know, a way that I can reach people and continue the conversation, continue you know, talking about things that aren't necessarily related in the book because we cover everything that's, you know, relationships, divorce, um, you know, cheating and things that aren't even in relationships. We did an episode that's on grief and, um, and on body positivity and shaming. And it's, it's become this outlet that I can talk about the things that I feel are really important. Um, Mm. and it's, it's grown, wildly quick in the first, you know, I think today we released episode 16. Um, so we're still pretty new. Um, but we have this, this whole community that's, that's been absolutely eating it up and loving it. And it's been a really great, you know, additional pathway for me to be able to express myself, but also connect and help other people. And speaking of that, um, that, gets me to my next question. I mean, having shared your story with so many people and having had such a positive impact on the lives of other people, um, what do you feel is the importance of being a role model? Do you feel like you've been a role model? And do you feel like it's important to be a role model in the sense that, wow, you've gone through this 
these these horrible situations in your life and you're able to uplift other people and to help them deal with their issues as well. Yeah, I I feel like I would never take on the responsibility. For some reason, the word role model to me, I always go to you know, young kids looking up to adults. And that's something I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want that pressure responsibility of, um, especially because, you know, my whole book is filled with F-bombs and, (laughs) you know, not appropriate stuff for anyone under 18. Um, But I do take pride and, and love the fact that I am a role model for other women to be strong. Um, That's something that I'm, really grateful for and really proud of. Um, but it, yeah, it's a weird, it's a tricky term for me. Um, but if, if your definition of role model means someone that can be there to help inspire and, and, you know, lift somebody up and make them know their worth and be an example as to how to, you know, navigate the stuff that life throws at you, then 100%. I'm, I'm all there for that. Well said. Now, Gabrielle, what future projects do you have ahead that you can talk about? So I'm currently writing the second book, which I have been asked about literally every day since the first one <laughs> came out. Um, and I don't think, I, I love all my readers, but I don't think anybody really realizes how much time it takes to write a book and then the process that happens after you write it, um, how long of a process that is. But I'm currently writing it. Um, I, I don't know when it'll be out, but it's it's being written. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we have the podcast that that releases every Wednesday. So I, I'm busy doing that. And, um, you know, I'm still very much interested in acting and definitely directing and producing. It's just kind of been a weird year with, uh, with COVID. So I'm sure that will eventually start to, to move again as well. And then we'll just be juggling all the balls in the air at once. <laughs> wow. Well, if anybody can do it, you can. I, I, I'm up for it. <laughs> well, before we go, Gabrielle, um, why don't you uh, tell my listeners about uh, your uh, social media pages, any websites that they need to be aware of to connect yeah. with you? Yeah. So I'm on all the platforms at Gabrielle Stone, except I think TikTok is Gabrielle underscore Stone or Dash Stone. Um, I can never remember that one. But um, And the book Eat, Pray, FML is exclusively available on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which I narrate. Um, and you can also get signed copies on my website where we also have all the podcast merch and a bunch of other fun stuff, which is eatprayfml.com. Very cool. Gabrielle, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do it. Oh, um, thank I'm... you so very much for having me. I was, I great questions and I totally appreciate it. You're welcome. I, I'm, it, it's my honor to have you on. You're you're just a lovely guest to have. So thank you, Gabrielle. Oh, thank you're you. so welcome. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. So that is the end of our show today. A big thanks again to Gabrielle Stone for doing the podcast today. This is the end of this episode of Consumers, Cars, Tech Talk, and more with me, your host, Phil Scott. Everyone stay safe. Be careful out there. Take care of each other, and we will talk again soon.